Hello, and welcome to the Ontario Animal Health Network podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Expert panel of the Ontario Animal Health Network, which is a dedicated group of specialists working in government, university, laboratory, and in beekeeping practice, who meet regularly to discuss bee disease and health issues. It is the intent of this program to monitor and protect the health of bees in Ontario. My name is Wally Haddad, and in today's podcast, I will be interviewing a panel of experts with a focus on honeybee research that is currently being conducted within Ontario, and also highlight some newly available laboratory resources that beekeepers can take advantage of. The first speaker on the panel is Dr. Amr Zayed, York Research Chair in Genomics and Associate Professor in the Department of Biology at York University. Dr. Zayed is leading multiple projects related to pollinator health with a special focus on honeybees. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Zayed, and could you please provide us with an overview of your lab's portfolio and how your work is addressing some of the issues currently facing Ontario's beekeeping industry? Great. So uh, uh, we, our lab uh, at uh, the Department of Biology at York University, uh, we have several ongoing projects uh, related to uh, uh, pollinator health uh, with a special focus on honeybees. So uh, w- right now we're uh, co-leading a very large project uh, on uh, understanding the genetics of economically and ecologically valuable crates in honeybees. So the honeybee is obviously a very important pollinator. Uh, it's uh, our main managed pollinators in agricultural landscapes, and it's been experiencing lots of uh, issues surrounding bee health. Uh, obviously, there's multiple stressors. Uh, we know pathogens are at play, uh, uh, possibly genetics in terms of uh, heavy reliance on imported uh, queens and imported uh, bees from outside of Canada. So um, we could call them maladapted bees. Uh, our winters are especially hard uh, on, on honeybees, and we know in, in some cases we have uh, uh, problems with uh, agrochemicals, uh, exposure to agrochemicals. Uh, so uh, what the lab is doing right now is uh, we're uh, sequencing a 1,000 bee genomes from across Canada, a 1,000 honeybee genomes from across Canada, and measuring 11 uh, valuable, uh, economically valuable crates uh, these include uh, social immunity, so the ability of honeybees to resist pathogens uh, through their behavior, like grooming and, and being hygienic. Uh, uh, other traits uh, uh, measure how well an individual honeybee is able to activate its immune system and produce antimicrobials that will fight infections inside the bee. Uh, other traits include things like honey production, how well bees uh, over uh, survive the winter, and uh, how much honey they make. And uh, the goal of that project is to uh, associate differences in genetics with differences in these important traits. And once we establish a relationship between specific mutations and specific traits, we could then uh, selectively breed honeybees using genetics. So uh, right now, beekeepers can selectively, bre- uh, selectively breed honeybees. Uh, uh, Ontario has the second largest breeding, uh, second oldest breeding program in North America for uh, disease resistance. So beekeepers already try to uh, breed bees that are uh, have higher qualities and, and higher fitness. Uh, but right now, the way they uh, they have to do everything manually, they have to go out and, and measure things in the field, and that takes a lot of time. And, and some traits, like how much uh, uh, antimicrobials a bee makes, is obviously impossible to assess visually. Uh, so we'll be providing beekeepers tools to then go out and selectively breed honeybees that have uh, the highest potential to be productive, the highest potential to be disease resistant, and the highest potential to uh, uh, survive our harsh winters. 
and that will improve uh, the health of bees and uh, and our agroecology as well. Uh, we are developing other tools that uh, make uh, movement, international movement in honeybees safer. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, Canadian beekeepers import a third of uh, the queens that uh, we need uh, uh, to uh, head up colonies in Canada every year. So about uh, 200,000 to uh, 250,000 queens are imported from outside of Canada every year. And every time we import a queen from outside of Canada, we risk introducing uh, uh, new diseases, but uh, also there are some invasive and undesirable uh, strains of honeybees that we for sure don't want to import into Canada. Uh, in particular, the Africanized so-called killer bee. Uh, it's uh, it's a strain of honeybee uh, that has uh, African ancestry, and uh, it was accidentally introduced in Brazil in 1956, and it has since spread uh, all the way up to the southern U.S., and uh, we do import some queens from uh, the United States, especially California. And so what we're trying to do is develop an accurate and cost-effective test where, whereby we could uh, uh, screen the genetics of bees before they come into Canada and determine whether they're Africanized or European. And uh, the lab is also doing uh, uh, a project to study the effects of neonicotinoids uh, 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 on honeybee health in Ontario, funded uh, by OMAPRA. Uh, in terms of uh, the non-honeybee work, we have uh, a good project uh, uh, that's undergoing on uh, Bombus tericula. Uh, so Bombus tericula is a yellow-banded bumblebee, and it's been uh, recently listed uh, uh, as uh, a species of special concern. It, it has been declining in the U.S. and parts of Canada. And here we're trying to develop tools to essentially diagnose and 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 help us understand why this bumblebee is declining. Uh, so funded by Wildlife Preservation Canada, we actually managed to sequence a genome of uh, of Bombus tericula, the yellow-banded bumblebee, in collaboration with uh, Professor Sheila Kola, who's uh, uh, at the Faculty of Environmental Studies at uh, York University. And we've also sequenced individual genomes of that species, and we use this data, uh, this genetic data, to essentially help us get a clue to why this uh, species is declining. We had essentially two kind of hypotheses. One was that there is uh, exposure to new pathogens that spilled over from uh, commercial bumblebee uh, operations, uh, and, or that the alternative hypothesis is that they've essentially been exposed to uh, uh, pesticides, new pesticides that uh, are entering the environment. And uh, so far, the preliminary data that we're getting by looking at the bees' DNA suggests that um, it's uh, it's actually uh, pathogens that are, are at play for the decline of uh, this uh, specific species. Uh, we're following that up with um, uh, some additional studies where we actually measure uh, uh, gene activation in the body of bumblebees uh, so the idea here is that uh, bumblebees are being exposed to stressors in the field, whether it be pathogens or agrochemicals or uh, malnutrition, and uh, they're activating specific sets of genes to deal with these stressors. And by studying uh, transcription or gene activation in bombus curricula, we'll get a better understanding of uh, what are the stressors that they're experiencing in the field. Excellent, and thank you for your time, Amro. Our next speaker is Dr. Georgia Slavik, veterinary bacteriologist in charge of the bacteriology section of the Animal Health Laboratory. 
Thank you very much for joining me today, Dr. Slavik. I just have two questions for you. The first one is, what does your lab section do, and how did you get involved in honeybee testing? Um, so our uh, lab section uh, is dealing with the bacteriology samples. So basically we provide bacterial culture and susceptibility. That's the primarily goal of our testing. For different clinical samples um, from across Ontario and across Canada as well. So the clinical samples are coming from field practitioners. We also work with the researchers and we work with the industry as well. So basically, how did we get into the bee testing was that a few years ago, um, I think it was like two, three years ago maybe, our uh, molecular section of Animal House Lab, they started doing uh, bee testing. And primarily they were focusing on molecular testing, like PCR for different uh, viral and uh, parasitic diseases of bees. And occasionally they would get in samples and people will start asking if these samples can be also tested for bacterial diseases. And two main bacterial diseases that are of interest uh, to beekeepers are American fowl brood caused by Penibacillus larvae and to a little less extent European fowl brood which is caused by Melisococcus plutonius. Um, because molecular section is not as experienced in, uh, in the culture as we are, basically these questions and requests are transferred to our section. Because of our experience, we have already available a lot of different media that we can use for the testing. We have incubators, and we have also state-of-the-art equipment for bacterial identification which is our latest instrument, and it's called Molditov MS. That instrument allows us to do bacterial identification the same day as soon as we get bacterial growth, which is a big advantage over previous testing that we used to do, which would take anywhere from two to three, three days before bacterial identification was basically available. In addition to that, um, once when I think it was word of mouth spread around that we are kind of doing some kind of bacterial cultures or we are like at least trying to do some, um, we got requests from other, uh, from beekeepers actually uh, to do the testing for their samples because they wanted to export the honey, for example, that was the, our first request, to um, other countries. And based uh, basically, uh, other countries are require, uh, requiring that if they want to export honey or other products probably, that they provide certificates that they are free, the honey is free of certain diseases and um, American fowl brood and European fowl brood was one, were two of them basically. Okay. Um, and what work is your lab section doing that may benefit or impact the beekeeping industry in Ontario? Um, so, like when I was learning more about basically American fowl brood and um, um, Penibacillus larvae and about the disease, um, I was quite interested in the few um, facts about American fowl brood particularly. One of them was basically that Penibacillus larvae isolates are not very, uh, are not identical basically meaning that there is variety of different 
strains of penny bacillus larvae present. And um, basically, there was a molecular method that is used to kind of type these isolates and group them into different groups. And that method is called ERIC. And based on ERIC typing, um, it has been widely published that there are basically four different types of Pennybacillus larvae, uh, namely ERIC-1, ERIC-2, ERIC-3, and ERIC-4. ERIC-3 and ERIC-4 um, types are not isolated in field. They are not found actually in field anymore. They're only present in, uh, um, as a reference frames in some of the freezers in the lab, basically. They're, they're early labs that they were doing um, diagnostic of bee diseases. In, on, contra on the other hand, um, ERIC-1 and ERIC-2 uh, types are still present in the field isolates, are still present as field isolates, basically. And um, in the recent paper that was published in 2014, um, they, I found an interesting fact that initially it was basically thought that ERIC-1 isolates, it's known actually that ERIC-1 isolates are widespread. So if you have bees anywhere in the world, most likely you will have ERIC-1 isolates causing American fowl brood. In, co in contrast, ERIC-2 isolates were initially thought only to be present in Europe. However, in that uh, 2014 paper, it was shown that um, ERIC-2 isolates are actually, they were isolated from honey samples from Canada and from New Zealand. And the fact that what they were isolated from Canada was quite interesting to me, although there was no indication from which province um, this, honey origin, this honey originated. So I started asking a little bit more around and found out that we actually do not have any information as do we have different eric types, in, particularly in Ontario, because we are focusing on working here in Ontario. Do we, we don't know, actually, what, which eric, isolate, eric types we, uh, we have in Ontario, and if we have actually this variety, and how widely spread they are. Uh, for that reason, basically, when um, Ontario Animal Health Network uh, came out uh, with call for the proposals for research projects. We put a proposal in to investigate um, uh, variety or diversity, actually, of Pennybacillus larvae isolates in Ontario. The way that we proposed to do that, we wanted to sample, basically, samples from di two different groups of bees, like, or basically bee yards. Um, one group was clinical isolates or clinical samples they will, uh, that we were, that uh, APRA inspectors were collecting over the summer. And we basically assumed that it's going to be primarily ERIC-1 isolates in, uh, this, uh, in this group. And then on the other hand, um, we also wanted to sample uh, uh, clinically healthy yards. So basically, yards that there were no indication of the presence of Pennybacillus larvae, hoping uh, to get like a little bit more um, variety of the isolates. And I think I forgot to mention initially why I was so interested in um, 
detection of ERIC-1 and IERIC-2 isolates is also that clinically they actually cause a different um, presentation in, uh, in the hives. For example, ERIC-1 isolates are, more, are, are actually a little bit less virulent, meaning that clinical they will kill larvae slower. So at the time the larvae are killed, they are already capped. And then like uh, once they are basically capped, you will have like a typical clinical presentation as you would expect in most cases of American fowl brood. With the basically, um, you will have dead larvae and that like your ropey test is going to be most likely positive. And then typical scale formation will be uh, present as well. In contrast, um, ERIC-2 isolates, they are actually faster in killing larvae. So they, they, in most cases, will basically kill larvae before they are capped. And because bees are social insects, these larvae actually are going to be cleaned before capping, meaning that there is probably more or less, less spores present in these hives. Uh, however, at the end, um, and there is no basically that, that ropey kind of material and no scale formation, or at least not very frequently. So it's kind of less than 10%. In less than 10% cases, you will actually see typical clinical disease. So the ERIC-1 isolates, that's typically what beekeepers are seeing in the field when they have a clinical AFB um, uh, infection in their colonies. Um, and then they can do their test. But with the ERIC-2, you're saying that uh, the bees will actually clean those out, so the beekeeper wouldn't, ev wouldn't even see those, uh, those infections, um, and they wouldn't even know that they existed in the colonies. Is, would that be that this exactly typical case? Exactly, or it will, be way, it will be more difficult to detect, and particularly okay. if people are not aware that there is like about the existence of these like other type of like Femibacillus larvae. Okay. So, in, in these cases, like with infections, what my concern was with infection with ERIC-2 types is that um, American fowl brood may go undetected for a longer period of time, eventually leading to the colony collapse. Okay. But it won't be so obvious as with ERIC-2, sorry, as with ERIC-1 isolates. And that's why we kind of proposed to look into uh, Penibacillus larvae population in Ontario. That was one that was our initial step and initial objective. The other thing was also that we wanted to uh, test Penibacillus larvae isolates and to see about their susceptibility because there is more and more concern about antimicrobial resistance, particularly to tetracyclines, a drug that's mostly used for the prevention of Penibacillus larvae, and we did not have much information about resistance in Penibacillus larvae population as well. So basically, um, right now, last summer, what we did, we spent uh, most of the time in, uh, in collaboration with uh, Technology Transfer Group mm -hmm. um, to collect the samples from a clinically healthy yards. Basically, the way that we proposed to do the sampling was to collect like 25 samples per yard from eight different beekeepers, which were located across Ontario to get a better representation of the provincial distribution of uh, Penibacillus larvae. And then at the same time, APR inspectors were collecting uh, 
samples from clinically affected uh, hives as well. And then we were basically culturing them and collecting the isolates. So from clinical, uh, clinical samples, all our clinical samples were positive, so we obtained quite a few Pendibacillus larvae isolates. And on the other hand, from clinically healthy sam uh, samples, like we did not actually recover any of the Pendibacillus larvae isolates, which is a good thing for beekeeper, well, for beekeepers in general, meaning that basically if there is like no clinical diseases, most likely, there is no Pennybacillus larvae present as well. However, we were a little bit uh, concerned about uh, the number of samples or the number of sites that we tested. So we decided to include a little bit larger population um, in testing as well. So we are going back to some of the samples that were collected over the last two years through a PRE inspection program. And we, are, we started testing these, uh, these samples as well. And so far, we tested maybe um, for the last year, we tested only like one quarter of the samples, and we were actually able to obtain or recover three additional sites that were positive for Pennybacillus larvae, the sites that were known that they did not actually have disease, clinical disease in the past. So right now we are still kind of, the, pro the whole project is ongoing, and um, we will keep testing. The other thing that I can say about the project, that's a good thing as well for the beekeeper, we did like uh, quite a bit of testing of uh, clinical isolates of Pennybacillus larvae, susceptibility testing that we did. And so far, we tested over 150 isolates of Pennybacillus larvae. And so far, all of the, our isolates in Ontario were negative, meaning basically they were not resistant uh, we did not detect any resistance to tetracycline, which is overall, I think, a really good news for the beekeepers of the industry in general in Ontario. So as I said, this project is still ongoing. And like what we learned so far, I basically uh, mentioned, but mentioned throughout my, my um, interview. Mm -hmm. But um, what I'd like to summarize is now some of the benefits to the bee industry that we are going to have from that project and some of the testing that we can actually offer to beekeepers as a result of the project. Okay. Um, so one of the benefits to the bee industry is basically that we, throughout these projects, we actually tested a variety of different sample types. So we tested like bees, we tested honeys, honey, we tested um, hive debris, and we basically tested also wax comb and brood. Oh, brood. Brood combs. We tested brood combs as well. Me, uh, so basically from now on, we can provide culture for all these type of the samples, and we know for sure that we can detect Pennybacillus larvae in all of them. Currently, we are also working on developing or validating, actually, real-time PCR for detection of Pennybacillus larvae. That will include all these sample types, and that will definitely shorten up um, turnaround time. Because right now, for the culture, we need anywhere between five and seven days for Pennybacillus larvae to grow. 
and then after that we basically can uh, uh, get identification within a day because of the multi-top technology that we use and then we need an additional day probably additional few days for susceptibility testing as well with PCR we will be able to uh, get like a result of the, the uh, detection of basically penibacillus larvae within a few days in comparison to culture that will take like a week or an over a week. And then uh, other benefit is also that we have a method established now to do the susceptibility testing, not only for tetracycline, but we expanded our panel and we can actually provide susceptibility testing for tylosine and clindamycin as two other drugs that potentially are used or can be used in the future for the prevention of penicillin larvae. Our final speaker is Dr. Hugh Kai, veterinary microbiologist and supervisor of the Honeybee Testing Lab at the Animal Health Laboratory. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Kai. I have a few questions for you regarding the Animal Health Lab and the honeybee testing services that you guys offer to beekeepers now and to the public. So first of all, what is the Animal Health Lab? Uh, Animal Health Lab, or we call it AHL in short form, is a veterinary diagnostic lab. We have about 18 veterinarians and about 100 technicians. Each year we, we run about 1 million tests on samples from all animal species, including companion animal and uh, livestock, fish, and bees. We provide full services in all disciplines, including anatomy pathology, histopathology, clinical pathology, microbiology, and molecular biology. Great. And what are, what are the accreditations um, that the Animal Health Lab has? Um, first of all, many animal health laboratories test, including honeybee pathogen testing, um, ISO 17025 accredited. Uh, you have to prove and maintain your proficiency to keep the accreditation. And the AHL is also accredited by the American Association of Veterinary Laboratory Diagnosticians. In addition, um, the, the AHL also um, accredited by CFIA, CFIA for many uh, specific testing. And speaking of those tests, so, so what different types of honeybee testing services does the lab offer? Uh, since 2014, each year we, we run uh, over 20,000 bee tests. Uh, with these tests, we, we not only detect the presence of, but also determine the infection level of seven different bee viruses, for example, the uh, DWV, six bacteria, for example, AFB, AFB and five parasites, for example, small hive beetle. Um, the data are used for baseline determination, disease diagnosis, and monitoring. We also test um, vitalogenic mRNA level, which is a bee health biomarker to evaluate the health status of the bee colonies. Okay. And who would these testing services be available to? Uh, it's available to the public, including researchers, for example, professors, uh, government, uh, which including our own government and foreign government, uh, industry, for example, pharmaceutical company, they want to investigate by themselves. Um, also, of course, the most important ones are beekeepers. Excellent. 
Um, and then given the vast portfolio of tests available to the lab, uh, which tests do you suggest for beekeepers to take advantage of? Um, in the past, through our network, we have had many conversations with our OMAFRA apiary program and Ontario Beekeeper Association on how to offer our test to Ontario beekeepers. Um, for disease investigation, for cost and benefit consideration, we can test um, varroa mite, trichomite, uh, deformed wind virus, and American foul brood. A foul brood. Sorry, we are working on offering the the four tests as a package testing to save the cost of our beekeepers um, to make it more available. Um, I mean, uh, affordable to to use. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Hugh, and thanks to our other speakers today. Also, a big thank you to our listeners. I hope that this podcast has been informative and valuable for all of you, and I believe that beekeepers in Ontario have a lot to look forward to with all of the great research that is being conducted on our doorstep. However, we have only begun to scratch the surface. Keep an eye out for our next podcast, where we will be speaking with industry experts to discuss the current and emerging issues in Ontario's beekeeping sector and the vast amount of training resources that beekeepers can access. Again, my name is Wally Haddad, and on behalf of the Ontario Animal Health Network, I would like to thank you for tuning in.